All glories to the symbol devotees, all glories to the symbol devotees, all glories to the symbol devotees, all glories to Sri Guru and Sri Guranga, all glories to Srila Prabhupada. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Namo Vishnu Badaya Krishna Bhastai Bhutade Shimati Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namani Namaste Saraswata Deve Gauravani Pracharane Nirvasesha Shunyavadi Pashtachade Shatarane Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nichananda Sri Advaita Gadadha Shivasri Gaur Bhakta Rinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare 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 Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare Reading from Shrimad Bhavan Kanto 10, Chapter 76, Verse 1. Sri Sukha Uvacha Atanyat Api Krishnasya Srinu Karmad Bhutam Rapa Krida Nara Sarirasya Yatasau Bhapatir Hataha
Sri Sukha Uvacha. Sukade Goswami said, Atta, now, Anyat, another, Api, yet, Krishnasya, of Lord Krishna, Srinu, please hear, Karma, the deed, Adbhutam, wonderful, Nirpa, O King, Krida, for playing, Nara, human-like, Sarirasya, whose body, Yata, how, Sobapati, Lord of Soba, Hata, killed. Translation, Sukadego Swami said, Now, uh, please hear, O King, another wondrous deed performed by Lord Krishna, who appeared in his human-like body to enjoy transcendental pastimes. Uh, hear how he killed the master of Soba. Salva was a friend of Shishupala's when he attended the wedding of Rukmini. The Yadu warriors defeated him in battle along with Jarasandha and the other kings. Salva swore in the presence of all the kings, I will rid the earth of the Yadavas. Uh, just see my promise. Having thus made his vow, the foolish king proceeded to worship Lord Pashupati, Shiva, as his deity by eating a handful of dust every day and nothing more. The great Lord, Umapati, is known as he who is quickly pleased. Yet, only at the end of a year did he gratify Salva, who had approached him for shelter by offering him a choice of benedictions. Purport, the Salva worshipped Lord Shiva, who was famous as Asutosh, one who was quickly satisfied. And yet Lord Shiva did not come to Salva for an entire year because, being Bhagavan, a great all-knowing personality, he understood that any benediction given by to Lord Krishna's enemy would be fruitless. Still, as stated by the words, Sharanam Agatam, Salva had come to Lord Shiva for shelter and thus to maintain the standard principle that a worshipper receives a benediction. Lord Shiva offered one to Salva. Salva chose a vehicle that could be destroyed by neither demigods, demons, humans, Gandharvas, Uragas, nor, nor Rakshasas that could travel anywhere he wished to go and that would terrify the Vrishnis. Lord Shiva said, so be it. On his order, Maya Dhanava, who conquers his enemy cities, constructed a flying iron city named Ashoba and presented it to Salva. This unassailable vehicle was filled with darkness and could go anywhere. Upon obtaining it, Salva went to Dwarka, remembering the Vrishni's enmity towards him. Salva besieged the city with a large army, O best of the Bharatas, decimating the outlying parks and gardens, the mansions along with their observatories, towering gateways and surrounding walls, and also the public recreational areas. From his excellent airship, he threw down a torrent of weapons, including stones, tree trunks, thunderbolts, snakes, and hailstones. A fierce whirlwind arose and blanketed all directions with dust. Thus, terribly tormented by the airship Sobha, 
Lord Krishna's city had no peace, O king, just like the earth when it was attacked by the three aerial cities of the demons. Seeing his subjects so harassed, the glorious and heroic Lord Pradumna told them, Do not fear, and mounted his chariot. The chief commanders of the chariot warriors, Satyaki, Charudeshna, Samba, Akura, and his younger brothers, along with Hardikya, uh, Banu, Vinda, Gada, Sukha, and Sharana, went out of the city with many other eminent bowmen, all girded in armor and protected by contingents of soldiers riding on chariots, elephants, and horses, and also by companies of infantry. A tumultuous hair-raising battle then commenced between Salva's forces and the Yadus. It equaled the great battles between the demons and demigods. With his divine weapons, Pradumna instantly destroyed all of Salva's magic illusions in the same way that the warm rays of the sun dissipate the darkness of night. Lord Pradumna's arrows all had gold shafts, iron heads, and perfectly smooth joints. With 25 of them, he struck down Salva's commander-in-chief, Juman, and with 100, he struck Salva himself. Then he pierced Salva's officers with one arrow each, his chariot drivers with 10 arrows each, and his horses and other carriages with three arrows each. When they saw the glorious Perdomna performing that amazing and mighty feat, all the soldiers on both sides praised him. At one moment, the magic airship built by Maya Danava appeared in many identical forms, and the next moment it was again only one. Sometimes it was visible and sometimes not. Thus, Salva's opponents could never be sure where it was. From one moment to the next, the Soba airship appeared on the earth, in the sky, on a mountain peak, or in the water. Like a whirling, flaming baton, it never remained in any one place. Wherever Salva would appear with his Soba ship and his army, there the Yadu commanders would shoot their arrows. Salva became Bewildered upon seeing his army in Ariel City, thus harassed by his enemies' arrows, which struck like fire and the sun, and were as intolerable as snake venom. Purport, Shri Swami explains that the arrows of the Yadu commanders burned like fire, struck simultaneously from all sides like the sun's rays, and like snake venom were lethal by a single touch. So here we have the beginning of... Uh, another pastime of Krishna in Dwarka, and that is the defeat of Salva. Uh, so it was explained at the beginning here that Salva had enmity with the Yadus. Uh, he was a friend of uh, Jarasandha and Shishupala, uh, so he was on the enemy side. And uh, Krishna's mission was to destroy uh, all of these uh, enemies. Uh, Started, of course, he started with Kamsa and then he worked on the other. So they were all on one side uh, against the uh, Yadus and the Pandavas. So the Lord's mission was to destroy all of these uh, different enemies. And so one after one, this is what uh, Krishna did. Uh, uh, so in this case, uh, Salva actually attacked uh, Dwarka. No, normally Dwarka could not be attacked because it was in the ocean and it was surrounded by high walls. And Krishna had especially meant that city to be protected from everyone. And that's why he moved away from Mathura. 
because Jarasandha was attacking that city, so he wanted a more secure place. So in general, Dwarka was more secure. However, we see that here, uh, Salva comes and he attacks the city. Uh, so he was uh, very, very strong. And moreover, we see here that he got a benediction from Shiva, uh, by which he got a uh, special vehicle, a huge airship, which was mm, very remarkable because it could move anywhere instantaneously from one place to another, and it could not be pierced by normal weapons because the material was completely different from any other material. So, uh, this of course was a material instrument or vehicle, just as uh, we have airplanes and rocket ships made out of material elements. They're propelled by some sort of fuel and they go from one place to another in the material world. Uh, so this was also a material vehicle, but more remarkable even than these modern uh, spaceships or airships or airplanes or whatever. Uh, uh, it was doing things that our modern uh, airships could not do. That is, could go instantaneously from one place to another. In other words, cover space with no, not going there, it looked like, going from one place to another um, instantaneously. Uh, and it was made out of some remarkable material that cannot be pierced by normal uh, weapons. So uh, something very remarkable for us, uh, but nevertheless, material. It's a material instrument, a material vehicle, a material weapon. Uh, so obviously, uh, against Dwarka, which is a spiritual city, against the weapons of the uh, Yadus and against the Yadus themselves and Krishna, who are all spiritual, uh, he didn't really have a chance. Nevertheless, we see a battle took place in which uh, Pradumna and others were fighting the soldiers, etc. Uh, so this is part of the Leela. So in this particular verse we see it was... Uh, uh, here this remarkable pastime in which uh, Krishna uh, performs uh, pastimes as uh, Nara Sarira. Uh, he has a body like a human being for his pastimes. Krida Nara Sarirasya. Uh, so, uh, the uh, material weapons and material bodies can do nothing to the Supreme Lord and his Dhamma, which are all spiritual. But, somehow or other, it looked as if something was happening here because uh, Salva was attacking very valiantly and fighting with his warriors, and then the Yadus had to fight back. <laughs> So this is part of the uh, pastimes of Krishna and his human-like body. Hmm? It looks as if he is fighting uh, matter with matter. Uh, he's material and he's fighting another material entity. When actually nothing can touch the uh, spiritual world. In other words, uh, uh, Salva cannot go to the spiritual world and fight there at all. He can't even enter there. So the Dham of the Lord also is spiritual and actually Salva cannot enter there at all. He cannot touch any of the Yadus or Krishna. But it looks as if it's happening here, fighting, etc. Not the only case we see so many uh, fights take place between Krishna and the demons. So uh, This is uh, 
Nara Lila. Krishna acting like a human person. Uh, now, of course, uh, the other uh, avatars of the Lord also act like this. So we see um, Varaha lifting the Bhumandala, which is material, obviously, out of the uh, Garbhadak Ocean. We see Ramchandra fighting with demons, etc., fighting uh, huge battles with uh, uh, demons who have fantastic weapons and whatever. Uh, so also takes place with others as well. And it's all Leela. They, they're doing this for pastime huh? uh, to illustrate uh, to people in the material world and even the devotees in the material world the uh, prowess of the Supreme Lord. But technically, uh, people with material eyes cannot see the Lord, so they can't appreciate anything ultimately. Uh, nevertheless, we see that uh, these demons see Krishna. Uh, Shishupala could see Krishna and he hated him and he was cursing him and insulting him and whatever. Huh? So they can simultaneously see and not see. They see Krishna but they don't really see the spiritual form of Krishna. But even that seeing that material form of Krishna or covered form of Krishna is, uh, has some benefit for the demons. And it's there so that Krishna can function within this material world and perform his pastimes. Otherwise, if Krishna comes to the material world, no one can see him. Then, <laughs> where are the pastimes? <laughs> no one can see the pastimes except those who are associated with him and his eternal lila. So, if Krishna comes to the material world with all of his eternal associates and he's having pastimes in Vrindavan, but no one else can see them, then what is that? So, when the Lord comes to the material world, he interacts with the people of the material world by killing demons, etc., and accepting devotees. So, uh, there's a little bit of a mixture here between material world and spiritual world when the Lord comes. When Krishna comes, then of course, it's a little more extraordinary because Krishna acts even more like a human being than the other forms of the Lord. Rama kills demons, but we always know Rama is going to win because he has this extraordinary power. But sometimes in these battles we see Krishna looks like he's not going to win and sometimes he runs away as in the case of Jarasandha, he ran away from the battle like that. Uh, uh, so uh, Krishna's pastimes are even more human-like than those of the other forms of the Lord when they appear in this material world. Uh, so uh, here uh, he's attacking with his uh, fantastic uh, air vehicle which is described here as bigger than a city. So, um, at the present moment, that is very difficult for us to do. We can build big airplanes, but they have a certain limit, how the size, huh? uh, I suppose, because the weight, yeah. <laughs> the weight is too much, and then to make it fly up in the air, and the fuel that it'll consume won't be practical, so we don't have you know, there's a limit on the size we can build our airplanes or whatever like this. This didn't seem to have a limit. Uh, it was not subject to the same laws for some reason. It was uh, huge and therefore heavier in one sense, but nevertheless, it was freely floating up there in the sky and darting all over the sky. Uh, by some extraordinary means. So in other words, it was a very ad materially advanced vehicle uh, beyond our capabilities. Uh, 
uh, how is it possible? Because benediction of Shiva. <laughs> so Shiva had uh, Maya Dhanava build this special vehicle. Uh, of course, uh, a material vehicle, but uh, under the direction of Shiva and Maya Dhanava, uh, some very fantastic material uh, vehicle was uh, produced. So for us, it is amazing, uh, but still is material, subject to material laws and ultimately material destruction. But of course, uh, because it is very advanced, uh, very, very difficult to conquer. And we see later on how uh, it appeared like magic somehow and then uh, uh, Salva could use some magical powers almost to appear, <coughs> disappear and create illusions, etc. So, um, his uh, material weaponry and fighting were uh, advanced to a stage that uh, he could create illusions. Yeah. And people would think this, but it wasn't this, it was something else, whatever like that. Uh, so, very advanced in terms of uh, material powers and illusions. But nevertheless, uh, nothing in comparison to the uh, spiritual world and the Shakti of the spiritual world under the control of Krishna. Right? So, of course, as mentioned here, Shiva knew about this. And therefore, he really didn't want to give a benediction to Saul because it was useless anyway, a, a, a weapon against uh, a Supreme Lord. Because... Shiva himself is a form of the Supreme Lord, and that he's just here as Bhagavan. So uh, he has all knowledge, uh, and therefore uh, he was reluctant to give that uh, weapon, even though he's called Asutosha, or easily pleased. And usually he does give um, quick benedictions to people who worship him. But because he wanted to combat the Supreme Lord, uh, there. He was very reluctant to uh, allow this. However, he did it. Huh? Why? Not out of ignorance, because Shiva is also Supreme Lord. He's Sarvagya, he's all knowledgeable. Huh? But again, uh, for pastimes, huh? so that Krishna could display his remarkable uh, activities uh, in the face of this remarkable material opponent. Huh? So that's why it's called Adbhuta Karma here, very amazing activities of Krishna. Uh, uh, Salva had amazing material powers through the benediction of Shiva. But all material. Uh, so uh, Krishna had more amazing powers. Hmm. So in one sense, uh, Salva cannot even touch Dwarka, one says, but again, for pastimes, he was allowed to attack and whatever like that, and they had fights and exchanges, etc. Uh, all for pastimes. Uh, and so the Lord can illustrate certain things uh, to the demons and to the devotees. Uh, so, in this way, uh, uh, Krishna interacted, and his devotees, like Pradumna, interacted with uh, Salva, and therefore we have this huge battle taking place. Uh, 
so as I said, the, there's uh, material versus spiritual here. And uh, no matter how much a person can manipulate material energy, it's not remarkable for the Supreme Lord because he's the one that uh, causes everything in the material world. He is the ultimate controller. So he can do something with matter that even these demons cannot do. Huh? Uh, Salva can make a fantastic or uh, use a fantastic ship which is created by Maya Donova under Shiva's direction. But that is just again a manipulation of material energy. And the ultimate person in charge of that material energy is the Supreme Lord Himself. So He can do more remarkable things with the same energy if He wants to. And if Shiva can, uh, um, if uh, this, uh, uh, Salva can have magical illusions or powers like that to make things appear and disappear, whatever. That again is material, it has to do with our perception and whatever, and managing certain aspects of material nature. So, uh, again, Supreme Lord can do more than that. Huh? He's got more power over material energy than uh, Salva has. So on the gross level and the subtle level, uh, the Supreme Lord can do much more than that uh, with material energy itself, if he wants to. Hmm? But, of course, uh, Krishna is ultimately spiritual. So nothing can really combat the spiritual energy. Uh, the material energy is nothing in comparison to the spiritual energy. Uh, material energy is achit. It is inferior. And in the first canto of Bhagavatam, it's described as that Maya cannot stand before the Lord. Uh, it's very ashamed. Because uh, it's so inferior. Huh? Not so with the spiritual energy. Spiritual energy is part of the Lord Himself, so it's called His Sarup Shakti. Hmm? And it's through that uh, spiritual Shakti that the Lord manifests His wonderful forms, qualities, activities, and pastimes in the spiritual world and creates bliss. Uh, so uh, the Lord has remarkable powers. And uh, this whole uh, spiritual realm with this spiritual power is, is inaccessible to material energy. Material energy can't really touch it at all. Hmm. So, if we have here Salva attacking the city of Dwarka and the devotees and Krishna there, actually cannot even do it. <laughs> but for pastimes, the Lord allows this. Hmm. So we see a nice interaction between the Supreme Lord and his spiritual Shakti. Uh, and the devotees uh, and the material energy with uh, Salva trying to very cleverly use that material energy to defeat the Lord but no match at all that material energy can do nothing uh, in the face of that spiritual energy of the Supreme Lord cannot even touch it really <laughs> so uh, ultimately this whole attempt of Salva is also useless uh, insignificant so from Salva's point of view, he thought he was invincible with his huge ship and his remarkable powers. But for the Supreme Lord, nothing at all. It's, it's, it's material. Uh, and uh, the Lord is the controller of material energy. But ultimately, the Lord has a spiritual energy, which is much, much superior to that energy. Huh? So material energy is achit, dead. Huh? Now we can use it in remarkable ways, but nevertheless, it's dead. Huh? 
spiritual energy is not dead, it is shit. <laughs> it's quite different. It's a remarkable energy, quite different from this material energy. We cannot even conceive of what it is. Of course, we can't even conceive of what material energy is. It's difficult for us to conceive of that with our dull material senses. But, but spiritual energy is uh, more remarkable than that uh, of material energy. So that we see everybody in the spiritual world has remarkable powers. Uh, uh, all of these uh, persons in the spiritual world are endowed with all siddhis. Uh, so the yogi has remarkable powers. Here we see salva has some remarkable powers of appearing and disappearing, etc. Uh, these are called siddhis. So all cities are naturally there with the devotees in the spiritual world. And of course all cities are there with the Supreme Lord himself. So that everyone has remarkable powers in the spiritual world. They can also assume any form and do anything and manifest any object or whatever. But it's all on the spiritual level, not even on the material level. So it's unlimited here. Objects manifest, uh, whatever, like by magic or whatever, by salva, but it's all limited, material, dull, inert, unconscious matter. Huh? Spiritual world, it's all shit. So much more remarkable and fantastic uh, what can take place in the spiritual world. Uh, and therefore, all this display, um, it's an elaborate description here, all the remarkable features of this vehicle. Huh? just to show that ultimately all useless, uh, insignificant in comparison with, uh, to the Supreme Lord and his uh, powers. Uh, so uh, this is a, a, another foolish attempt of the demons to uh, combat the Supreme Lord. Uh, they try various means, so usually we find them fighting and they have their huge armies and they're fighting and fighting and fighting. Here we find a little bit different with a huge airship comes along and attacks Dwarka and throws things on top of Dwarka and uh, whatever, uh, uh, like modern warfare. But cannot harm the city, cannot harm anyone there at all. And Krishna can easily defeat this uh, machine, material machine. Uh, so in other words, it illustrates the uh, foolish attempt of the Asura, thinking the Lord is another material entity. He tries to conquer him, but actually nothing in the material world can uh, conquer the Supreme Lord. He's com completely different from anything in the material world, so all attempts are ultimately foolish. Do they take material bodies? Well, we can say it's a semblance to a material body, but ultimately they're not conditioned souls like us. Now, under uh, the yoga maya potency of the Lord, they may think they're a material body and so and so like that, but technically they're not really conditioned like us. Huh? So it's all the will of the Supreme Lord. In our case, it's not the will uh, yoga maya. We actually have gross material ignorance, avidya. In the case of Jaya Vijaya, who came from the spiritual world, 
that's some arrangement of the Yogamaya potency of the Lord. But it looks like ignorance because we find Ranikasipu is fighting, Ranyaksha is fighting, Shishupal is fighting. So they identify themselves as demons at that time. Hmm? So their body also is spiritual. Ultimately, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, we can say that, or even if it is material, it's got nothing to do with their Atma, which is ultimately spiritual, and they have their spiritual body also. Well, yeah, uh, but he, he uh, this was not because of his yoga power, it was because of benediction from Shiva that Mayadanava made a vehicle, uh, probably the one made by Kapila. Uh, Karimamuni was uh, more fantastic because it was more subtle. It was more uh, uh, subtle, uh, done by pure yoga power. That was uh, something very, very subtle. dead in the sense that it does not have consciousness that can say I exist or I perceive something etc. It doesn't mean there's no energy there, definitely it's an energy, it's Shakti. Huh? Well, the Shakti can, uh, among its components, can do things in one sense, it can act, there's interactions or whatever. Of course, it also needs input from outside. So matter cannot do anything without the input of the Supreme Lord. So that's why Mahavishnu glances over Prakriti, then it becomes active. He, he, he injects it with this willpower and then it begins to act. So only by the will of the Lord, material energy can interact and produce Mahatattva and Mahankara and all the material elements, etc. None of that can take place unless the will of the Lord is there, the energy of the Lord is somehow involved in that. Huh? Uh, so, once we have a material world, then we also have jiva in the material world. This makes it a little more complicated because then we get bodies for jivas. Huh? And the body is very complex also. Huh? Uh, I don't know, maybe we can say the body is more complex than rocks or something like that, I suppose. <laughs> More complex. Huh? We got a whole thing, cells in the body, all of this, also material, but very, very uh, complex arrangement of matter. Why? Because of jivas. So we got bodies in the material, very complex uh, forms of matter uh, in, in relation to jivas. And then when the jiva goes up to the body, it dis disintegrates back into its elements again. Uh, so in combination with the jiva, we get very complex combinations of material energy. Uh, so the, the jiva also has some, you can say, power there to help produce uh, complex uh, material arrangements or whatever. So there's energy in matter itself, but again, it, as I said, it, it's not completely independent. It's under the Supreme Lord somehow or other. And, uh, and then also in relation to the jivas, it, it, it operates.
Makes it work, yeah, yeah. yeah. So while Lord makes it work, it's not material anymore. It's well, it's related to the uh, uh, the the Lord, but we don't call it spiritual because its essential nature is achit, and it's completely dependent on the Lord. Now we have spiritual energy in the spiritual world. We can say, okay, it's not the Lord also, but it's completely different because it is chit. It is conscious energy spiritual world. Here it's unconscious, so it's on a much lower level. Ultimately, everything is Supreme Lord because they say Achincha Veda Veda Tattva, but I guess we would differentiate Shakti from the Supreme Lord also. So the Lord is His Shakti, is simultaneously not His Shakti, He's different from it. And so we make some distinctions. On the highest level, the devotee will make no distinctions and he just thinks everything is all part of Krishna, Uttamadikari, but, and Krishna himself probably thinks like that, but for us, then we have to make some distinctions and between material energy, spiritual energy, and their different ways they interact, etc. Another part of matter, of course, is the subtle aspect of matter. We have the, the gross matter, and then we have time, karma, and activity. Karma in the sense of fate. Uh, these are subtle aspects of matter. Uh, not material world, not matter, gross matter, but subtle aspects of the material world. Uh, uh, so this helps to create the idea of action and interaction, etc. If we don't have that shakti there of time and uh, the ability of action to lead to other actions uh, and the idea of karma for the individual, then uh, we can say it would be much less active than it is. Uh, so these subtle aspects are there which give us an appearance of all sorts of wonderful things happening in material nature. But it's also material, it's ultimate material world. And it's also achit. Time is achit. Karma is achit. Action is achit.
Reading from Srimad Bhavan Kano 10, Chapter 76, verse 31. <laughs> Certainly, may my Katayashanti will speak of Asantya, laughing, Bratra Jamayaha, my brother's wives, Klaibhyam, unmanliness, Katam, how, Katam, how, Vira, O hero, Tava, your Anyaya and by your enemies Kachatam tell us Mrde in battle Translation certainly my sisters in law will laugh at me and say oh hero tell us how in the world your enemies turned you into such a coward in battle 
The driver replied, Oh, long-lived one, I have done this knowing full well my prescribed duty. Oh, my lord, the chariot driver must protect the master of the chariot when he is in danger, and the master must also protect his driver. With this rule in mind, I removed you from the battlefield since you had been struck unconscious by your enemy's club, and I thought you were seriously injured. Thus end the purports of the humble servants of His Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, the 10th Canto, 76th Chapter of Srimad Bhagavatam, entitled The Battle Between Salva and the Rishnis. Sukadev Goswami said, After refreshing himself with water, putting on his armor, and picking up his bow, Lord Pradumnya told his driver, Take me back to where the hero Jumaun is standing. Purport, Pradumna was eager to rectify the discrepancy of his having left the battlefield when his chariot driver carried him away unconscious. In Pradumna's absence, Juman had been devastating his army, but now Pradumna counteracted Juman and, smiling, pierced him with eight Naracha arrows. Purport, Shilavishma Chakavarti, comments that Pradumna challenged Juman, saying, Now, see if you can strike me. After saying this and allowing Juman to shoot the, his weapons, Pradumna released his own deadly arrows. With four of these arrows, he struck Juman's four horses, with one arrow his driver, with two more arrows his bow and chariot flag, and with the last one, Juman's head. Gada, Satyaki, Samba, and others began killing Salva's army, and thus all the soldiers inside the airship began falling into the ocean their necks severed. As the Yadus and Salva's followers thus went on attacking one another, the tumultuous, fearsome battle continued for twenty-seven days and nights. Invited by Yudhisthira, the son of Dharma, Lord Krishna had gone to Indraprastha. Now that the Rajasuya sacrifice had been completed and Shishupala killed, the Lord began to see inauspicious omens. So he took leave of the Kuru elders and the great sages and also of Prita and her sons and returned to Dwarka. The Lord said to himself, Because I have come here with my respected elder brother, kings partial to Sishupal may well be attacking my capital city. Sukadeva Goswami continued, After he arrived at Dwarka and saw how his people were threatened with destruction and also saw Salva and his Soba airship, Lord Keshava arranged for the city's defense and then addressed Dharaka as follows. Purport, Lord Krishna placed Sri Balaram in a strategic position to guard the city and he also appointed a special guard for Sri Rukmini and the other queens inside the palaces. According to Sri Vishma Chakravarti, by a secret route, special soldiers conveyed the queen to safety inside Dwarka. Lord Krishna said, O driver, Quickly take my chariot near Salva. This lord of Soba is a powerful magician. Don't let him bewilder you. Thus ordered, Daruka took command of the lord's chariot and drove forth. As the chariot entered the battlefield, everyone there, both friend and foe, caught sight of the emblem of Garuda. When Salva, the master of a decimated army, saw Lord Krishna approaching, he hurled a spear at the Lord's chariot. The spear roared frighteningly as if as it flew across the battlefield. Salva's hurtling spear lit up the whole sky 
like a mighty meteor. But Lord Sauri tore the great weapon into hundreds of pieces with his arrows. Lord Krishna then pierced Salva with 16 arrows and struck the Soba airship with a deluge of arrows as it darted about the sky. Firing his arrows, the Lord appeared like the sun flooding the heavens with its rays. Salva then managed to strike Lord Krishna's left arm, which held his bow, Sangha, and amazingly, Sangha fell from his hand. Those who witnessed this cried out in dismay. Then the master of Soba roared loudly and addressed Lord Janardana. Salva said, You fool! Because of our presence, you kidnapped the uh, bride of our friend uh, Sisupala, your cousin, and because you later murdered him in the sacred assembly while he was inattentive, today with my sharp arrows I will send you to the land of no return. Though you think yourself invincible, I will kill you now if you dare stand before me. The Supreme Lord said, O oh, dullard, you boast in vain, since you fail to see death standing near you. Real heroes do not talk much, but rather show their prowess in action. Having said this, the furious Lord swung his club with frightening power and speed and hit Salva on the collarbone, making him tremble and vomit blood. As soon as Lord Achuta withdrew his club, Salva disappeared from sight, and a moment later a man approached the Lord. Bowing his head down to him, he announced, Devaki has sent me, and sobbing, spoke the following words. The man said, O oh Krishna, Krishna, mighty armed one, who are so affectionate to your parents. Salva has seized your father and taken him away as a butcher who leads an animal to slaughter. When he heard these disturbing news, this disturbing news, Lord Krishna, who was playing the role of a mortal man, uh, showed sorrow and compassion and out of love for his parents he spoke the following words like an ordinary conditioned soul. Lord Krishna said, Balaram is ever vigilant and no demigod or demon can defeat him. So how could this insignificant Salva defeat him and abduct my father? Indeed, fate is all-powerful. After Govinda spoke these words, the master of Soba again appeared apparently leading Vasudev before the Lord. Salva then spoke as follows. Here is your dear father who begot you and whose, for whose sake you are living in this world. I shall now kill him before your very eyes. Save him if you can, weakling. After he had mocked the Lord in this way, the magician Salva appeared to cut out Vasudev's head with his sword. Taking the head with him, he entered the Soba vehicle which was hovering in the sky. By nature, Lord Krishna is full of knowledge and he possesses unlimited powers of perception. Yet for the moment, out of great affection for his loved ones, he remained absorbed in the mood of an ordinary human being. He soon recalled, however, that this was all a demoniac illusion engineered by Maya Dhanava and employed by Salva. Now alert to the actual situation, Lord Achuta saw before him on the battlefield neither the messenger nor his father's body. It was as if he had awakened from a dream. Seeing his enemy flying about him in his soba plane, the Lord prepared to kill him. Such is the account given by some sages. O oh, wise king, but those who speak in this illogical way 
are contradicting themselves, having forgotten their own previous statements. Purport. If someone thinks that Lord Krishna was actually bewildered by Salva's magic and that the Lord was subjected to ordinary mundane lamentation, such as such an op- opinion is illogical and contradictory. Since it is well known that Lord Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, transcendental and absolute, this will be further explained in the following verses. So, here we have the incident where Salva uh, seems to put Krishna in illusion by uh, manufacturing a false Vasudeva and cutting off his head and taking him away. And then Krishna seemingly lamenting for this and thinking that his father had died. Uh, And then uh, we see here this uh, verse, which is quite famous. It's often quoted by our acharyas to indicate that uh, ordinary people will misinterpret the actions and responses and qualities of the Supreme Lord and think that he is material. Uh, uh, in this particular instance, uh, uh, Krishna is fooled by the trick of uh, Salva, and he thinks his father has died and he's been killed, and then he starts lamenting like an ordinary person. Uh, so if one uh, thinks that Krishna actually is bewildered and actually is lamenting like an or- and he is an ordinary person, then this is the uh, this is the uh, the mistake that people make. So this ver- particular verse is there to correct that impression and say that this is actually all illogical to think like this. Huh? And uh, it contradicts, contradictory. Why? Because we find so many places in the Srimad Bhagavatam and particularly the 10th canto where uh, Krishna is declared to be the Supreme Lord, perfect, with all knowledge, full of bliss, no illusion or ignorance. So if he acts like this and he is in ignorance, it's a contradiction. It's opposite of what uh, should actually uh, take place. Why? Because of of the other statements. Hmm? So if one statement says Krishna is God, another statement says he's not God, that's a contradiction. They're opposites. Uh, Krishna is God? No, Krishna is an ordinary human being. This is an illogical statement, or we can say contradictory statements. Hmm? And therefore we say it's illogical because uh, either one is right or the other is right. And both cannot be right, at least by normal means. Of course, we have a chinchabeda bait where Krishna is everything and not everything simultaneously. Uh, uh, Then we say it is a chincha. Uh, But in most cases, uh, uh, when we have opposite statements, very difficult to um, explain them together. Either one is right or the other is right. So it's illogical uh, uh, to have both statements and not explain it. So when there's uh, two contradictory statements, either could be correct. Krishna is God, that may be correct. Or Krishna is a human being, that may be correct. If we go by the Bhagavatam, however, uh, then uh, we have to say that Krishna is Supreme Lord. That is the correct version. Uh, Because this is the whole theme of Bhagavatam. Krishna is to Bhagavan Swayam. He's the highest, not only the Supreme Lord, he's the highest form of the Supreme Lord. 
So this is repeated over and over. So if there's contradictory statements in the Bhagavatam, then they are secondary statements. We don't take them as absolute. Uh, we take the, the main statements, principal statement, as the absolute statement, and this has to be explained in terms of the other statement. Uh, so this is a common principle. Uh, we take the stronger statement and then we interpret the other statement in terms of that. We have to explain it. Okay, why is he acting like this, like a human being or whatever? Why is it stated like this? And then we give some explanation. Hmm? Uh, this is not uncommon. We see similarly we have uh, in Upanishad statements, uh, 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 everything is illusion, only Brahman is real, only one Brahman exists. And impersonalism. But then there are other statements in the Upanishads that say, no, uh, uh, Vishnu has a form, Vishnu creates the world, world is real. So we got contrary statements there. So which is correct? So my bodies will say, ah, oh, Brahman, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the main statement. And everything will interpret uh, Krishna, uh, Narayan as Vishnu as a form, that's secondary. We'll have to interpret that in terms of main statement, everything is Brahman, everything else is illusion. Vaishnavas and others will take the opposite statement. Okay, Brahman also is that's the secondary statement. And actually, uh, Supreme Lord does have a form. He does activities. He creates the world. World is real. Hmm? But you can always get caught one way or the other and say, well, why is this stronger? Why is that stronger? And that's why the Vaishnavas and the Maya buddies argue and they keep arguing on forever and ever <laughs> according to the strength of their statements. Huh? There is a possible resolution to this because Bhagavatam says, Supreme Lord is Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. So he is both, which just seems contrary. He is impersonal and one. He's also many. And he is different from everything. And he has a form, etc. So uh, uh, the Lord is uh, supreme and he creates the material. Plus, he's also the one Brahman. So Bhagavatam accepts both, of course, it qualifies this Brahman as not being absolutely everything else as illusion, etc. So in any case, we go by scriptures and Bhagavatam concludes that the supreme form is Lord with a form, qualities, activities, and Brahman is secondary to that. But Brahman is also supreme Lord, but secondary. So we have to explain contradictory statements somehow or other. Ah, so, uh, in the Bhagavatam, we'll go by the, the major theme, the major statements which are repeated many times. And when we find contrary statements, we will have to interpret them as secondary statements somehow. Hmm? So we'll see in Canto 3, uh, Kapila Dev explains impersonal Brahman in one section. In Canto 11, several chapters, uh, Krishna dedicates to impersonal mukti, like that. So the uh, Mayavadis and the impersonalists will take these chapters and glorify these chapters and put them as the main subject of the Bhagavatam. Hmm? Whereas the uh, Vaishnavas will take them as secondary. Why? Because the main purpose of the Bhagavatam is to propose Krishna as Swayam Bhagavan and Krishna is not impersonal Brahman he has a form, qualities, activities a whole tenth canto dedicated to describing his wonderful activities so uh, how is it possible that uh, ultimately uh, the form of the Lord is illusory, it cannot be 
So therefore, all of these uh, statements about Brahman we find in 3rd and 11th Canto and other places as well are secondary statements only. And referring to that Brahman who is an expansion of or one aspect of Bhagavan who is perceived like that by jnanis or yogis. So, uh, we have to go by the, the stronger statements. Uh, and uh, uh, one way of saying stronger statement is that it's repeated many times. Uh, we have so many statements about how uh, uh, Krishna is uh, Satchitananda Vigraha and um, uh, Brahman is useless and secondary and whatever like that. Uh, so many criticisms of Brahman uh, as being a secondary realization. So, uh, in this way, by the uh, prominence and prevalence and the repetition of statements, uh, we find which is the stronger one. And therefore, in the context of that, when we find contradictory statements like that, then we have to interpret them. Hmm? Someone who doesn't want to take this method and simply wants to prove his own point, uh, uh, either materialistic point of view of, or impersonal point of view or whatever, then he can take the secondary statements and ignore everything else. And then he'll say, this is uh, scripture, I'm going to scripture and quote these statements. Uh, see Krishna here, the human being, because he was crying, uh, because Vasudeva's head got cut off, so he's an ordinary human being. And say like that. So uh, this is, uh, take one incident without seeing the whole of the Bhagavatam. Uh, so uh, that's why uh, this verse is uh, here to very clearly state that such persons who do this are actually very foolish. Yeah? Uh, they're speaking illogically if they believe that this is the actual situation. Yeah? Uh, rather, it, is, it has to be uh, explained in terms of the majority of the statements of the Bhagavatam. Yeah? So, this is a good lesson we have to learn that we cannot simply quote scriptures but we have to see the context of those statements and see the strength of those statements in relation to other statements in the whole work. <coughs> then, of course, we can take not only one work, we can compare this statement or these statements and our explanation with other scriptures and see if there is agreement there. So in this way, we can go to the Vedas and Upanishads and the Brahma Sutras, uh, to the uh, Mahabharata and uh, other Puranas, and then come to the Bhagavatam and see if there's agreement. And if there's agreement, then we say, okay, this is the correct thing. And this other one is uh, foolish. So uh, it may be very difficult for us to do this all the time, uh, since we don't have so much knowledge. Uh, so that is why we have our acharyas in our sampradaya, because they go through everything very carefully. They find out what is the prominent statements of the Bhagavatam, what are what are the the, the main themes, and what are the secondary statements. Uh, they go to the other scriptures, and then they'll uh, examine those scriptures and see what is the main theme there also, and come to the conclusion. Uh, so that is why we have often quotations. Our acharyas will give quotations from Shruti, from Upanishads usually, or Brahma Sutra to support their point. So they make a point, okay, this is like this, because not only it's the Bhagavatam conclusion, but it's also in the Shruti itself. The uh, Swatara Upanishad agrees with this, or uh, Mundaka Upanishad agrees with this, also in the quote. 
So that is why they put those quotations there to show that these Bhagavatam is not an isolated work with its own unique conclusions. But the same conclusions are there in Upanishads or Shruti itself. Huh? Uh, so in this way, uh, we have to uh, go through the Acharyas and then we understand uh, or we get the real meaning of Scripture with no contradictions and not no opposite statements like this. They are all explained very nicely. Huh? Uh, so for that reason, again, our Acharyas, they, they often they quote this particular verse <laughs> uh, to show that uh, we cannot simply take statements out of context and, and then quote that to say, show that Krishna is a human being or whatever like that simply because he acts like a human being. Uh, so, uh, therefore, there is uh, uh, um, mm, good explanation for all of this. Hmm? Uh, so as explained elsewhere, uh, Krishna often acts like a human being. He looks like a human being. He hasn't got a huge giant form in comparison to everybody else. He's just the same size as everybody else. <laughs> uh, and he acts and has qualities often that resemble those of a human being. Uh, so, uh, this is bewildering for some people, but for others it is very sweet. It is uh, 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 because he acts so human-like, uh, this creates great in intimacy in Vrindavan. At the same time, it may create difficulties for some people because they will mistake Krishna for an ordinary human being. Oh, he's attached. He's attached to these people. Oh, he's attached to Mother Yasoda. Too much attachment to Mother. Too much attachment to Father. Or whatever like this. <laughs> too much attachment to Gopis. Yeah, he's a materialist. Huh? Huh? So similarly here, too much attached to his uh, Father Vasudev. Yeah. Uh, simply because his father, he's attached to him and worried about him and is crying and disturbed. His mind gets disturbed. Huh? So this doesn't look like the uh, appearance of the Supreme Lord in some forms, who is all knowledgeable and knows everything. It looks like he's under illusion. Huh? But no, uh, uh, it is natural that the Supreme Lord has affection for his devotees and therefore he will uh, uh, show his emotions for them in different situations. If the devotee is in danger, then the Lord is very disturbed by that. We see when um, Prahlad was disturbed by his father, then Nishramadeh uh, became very angry and he appeared and he was so angry nobody could control him. Yeah. So again, we can attack an Ashramadev and say, ah, he's, uh, he's too emotional. <laughs> he's too, showing anger. Yeah? But no, uh, these are uh, uh, not material emotions. They are the emotions of the Supreme Lord in relation to his devotee. Yeah? Uh, so of course, we call secondary rasas or vibhachari bhavas that arise in the Lord. They may look negative, but actually they're part of his spiritual emotion in relation to his devotee. Out of love for his devotee, he shows his anger. Yeah? Uh, so, out of uh, affection for his mother and father uh, in uh, Vrindavan, Nasnanda Nisoda, or in Dwarka, Devaki, and Vasudev, then he can show emotions, and it is, it is not a problem. Uh, he has very great attachment to them. Uh, so, the positive emotions are the affection and love he shows for them. And then the negative emotions are in relation to that. When there's disturbance for his devotee, then he'll become uh, 
uh, let's say, agitated, confused, angry, bewildered, or whatever. Yeah? So these are the, the responses uh, to his attachment to his devotee. He will show these symptoms like this. Yeah? Yeah? So therefore we cannot criticize uh, Krishna if he, uh, he becomes disturbed when um, uh, Salva um, puts on this show of magic. Yeah? Uh, so Krishna shows us. Of course, we also know, yes, Krishna's Supreme Lord, he knows everything, uh, whatever. Yeah? But we can give the same argument in Vrindavan also. Krishna knows everything, so why does he have to uh, show all this affection for his devotees and this and whatever and uh, become disturbed when the uh, cowherd boys are marching into the mouth of Agasura and then Krishna becomes very disturbed by that? Why? If he's the Supreme Lord, why well, he knows it already that he should be very peaceful. Huh? And when the demon attacks, then he, he already knows he's going to kill the demon, so why does he have to get excited at all? He should, he should just be very peaceful and annihilate the demon finished. So, uh, there are all of these emotions are there, and there looks like there's an appearance of ignorance on the part of the Lord. Uh, and even the Lord is surprised by this somehow. Uh, he, sometimes he feels, wow, well, I, I, I'm surprised by this also. Uh, so, uh, it's not the ignorance of the material world. Uh, we can say this is the ignorance of the spiritual world, yoga, maya, potency, acting. So that Krishna apparently looks like he's covered up also. And by doing this, it increases certain aspects of rasa hmm? uh, for Krishna and for the devotees. Hmm? So, same case here. We can say it is the yoga maya influence that he forgets and he, uh, that, that this is only a trick of uh, salva. And then, then he uh, laments for his father or whatever. Out of, uh, or we can say out of great emotion because of attachment to the devotee, he forgets everything else. Hmm? Uh, in any case, it is not a fault in the Supreme Lord and it does not make him into a material being. Uh, uh, he remains the Supreme Lord. Why? Uh, because of the other statements in Bhagavatam and other scriptures uh, uh, which state that he is Supreme Lord, free from material ignorance, always in bliss, never lamenting like people in the material world. So, uh, we have to accept the, uh, the conclusions of the Bhagavatam and not take these uh, small incidents and start criticizing the Lord for that. You see, Lord has a many energies. One of them is called like a Kurukashukti. He's very muscular. He's, he laments when, when his, his devotees uh, uh, suffer. So in the case of uh, here, Krishna, that when Krishna saw that some uh, black magic, black magic that was with head scar, can you say that his corona should be prevail, and you know, his corona should be prevail, and for his father, and you know, he started forgetting that he was a good lord because of the energies work here. Well, yeah, we can say this is a yoga maya working or whatever, uh, that the affection for his father is so great it overpowers everything else, including his discrimination or whatever like that. Ultimately, at the same time, we can say, no, he's always in, you know, he's always Supreme Lord, but the play of his spiritual energies are such that it looks like that. The question was, you explained that in Bhagavatam, all the Bhagavatam is a conclusion for all the scriptures. Still, in the Bhagavatam, we see, there is uh, some glorification of God, Krishna, different form, like you explained here, that when many chapters in the 11th century, as well as 3rd century, explain about this impersonal Brahmajati, 
Brahma. Can we say that it's because of because when Sukadeva Goswami was uh, explaining Bhagavatam, there are many audience with there, even some some Brahmavadi also there. Mm-hmm. So to specify that he was explaining this also. Other, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, Bhagavata is explaining, yes, uh, uh, other people were there, so through those explanations he attracts them, and once they're attracted, then he, they can listen to other things also. That's one reason. Another is that the Bhagavatam is like the Supreme Lord, and it has many faces. Supreme Lord has got Madhurya Rasa for the gopis, or the Sakya Rasa for the cowherd boys. He has many appearances for different individuals. So Bhagavatam also is like that. Different people can see different things in Bhagavatam. So the Ganis can see Jnana there, the yogis can see yoga, the karmis can see karma yoga there, and the devotees can see bhakti. So yeah, it is very, uh, we can say, uh, uh, like the Supreme Lord in the sense that everybody can appreciate him in different ways. <laughs> can you say that you know, because this Paramatma, Brahman, and Bhagavan, there are ultimately there are one form, but Brahman and Paramatma display less qualities. So can you say that only to make sure that Krishna's Supreme Personal Supreme Personal Party uh, in Shiva Bhagavatam other like Paramatma and Brahman also explain. There is explanation of this Paramatma and Brahman also. Paramatma and Brahman also. To understand the devotees that you know that uh, Brahman and Paramatma actually devotees are not interested. Because devotees are not devotees are not interested in Brahman and Brahman. Yeah. Because of the same last words. Yeah. Well, they're explained because they're in other scriptures. Obviously, we see these descriptions of Brahman and the Upanishads and the creator of the world, Paramatma, is there also. So we find in scriptures, uh, other scriptures like the Upanishads, these uh, statements about uh, Brahman. So therefore, they have to be mentioned. They also have to be explained in the proper context in relation to Bhagavan. And so therefore, they explain it. And uh, Brahman is explained as being like the, the, uh, the quality of the Lord almost. It, it's, it's not the main thing. It, it's his secondary aspect. Huh? And so in this way, there's glorification of the Supreme Lord through this. Why you say that you, know, you are the Lord? That statement is very attractive according to Upanishad. Hmm. To clarify this statement, can you say that he also explained here that what is actually really Brahman? Hmm? What really Brahman is? To apply the statement, because in the position, if you take the statement of position, mm. normal general will help you with the statement. To clarify that everything in the Bhagavatam, so this is an explanation of everything in the Bhagavatam. It's a desert, like a Bhagavatam is like a desert tree. Yeah. Everything in Bhagavatam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, it's a clarification of the term Brahman because Brahman can mean many things and ultimately it can also mean Bhagavan. As we see from Brahma Sutras, there it means Bhagavan. Huh? So that's what the, and the, uh, the Bhagavatam is the explanation of the Brahma Sutras. So they're explaining ultimately who is Parabrahman, the highest form of Brahman. That's all. Hmm? You know, how one may to differentiate between their own understanding and the revelations made by the superiors. Because there? everything only... How can one differentiate between their own understanding and the revelations made by the superiors in the heart? Revelations made by who in the heart? The superiors like the Acharyas and the spiritual master. So every, every soul has its own capacity to understand things. But we always say that the Lord rivers or the spiritual master rivers, the Acharyas rivers, certain things, the intimate points in the Shastras. 
How do we? Because everybody thinks something and think that there is a revelation they have got, which may be wrong also. Well, obviously everybody can make a mistake, but uh, if we become devotees and we follow the method of bhakti according to scripture and the previous acharyas, then we're bound to make less mistakes, uh, particularly if we follow through the, properly through the acharyas. So there's some guarantee that we don't make a mistake. Now, we, we can't be perfect unless we're on the highest level, but nevertheless, we can say percentage-wise, there's much less possibility of making a mistake. And then if we have individual devotees, gurus, etc., to guide us, then there's less possibility of mistake also. We can't guarantee you're not going to be in Maya and make some misinterpretation of scripture or whatever, but much, much less likely if you have these safeguards of scripture, acharyas, and devotees, much less. As a devotee, we should consider or we should not take a statement of scriptures about our own we or we. I think we should see the scriptures through the eyes of acharya. Well, that's, you know, that's why we have to accept a parampara system. Basically, parampara means that we accept the commentaries of the previous acharyas. And that's how we uh, get our explanations. Uh, so wherever there are unclear points, they explain it in terms of uh, their realization and according to scripture. And then we accept those opinions or those ideas. And then we come to the correct conclusion that way.